morning, Grace. It's great to be with you today. Um, And great is the Lord, as we just uh, saw in that video. Uh, We have some special uh, folks with us today. Just wanted to point them out uh, to you. We had one special visitor last week, and this week he's come back again. His name's Mr. Buddy Seal. Mr. Buddy Seal is with us. And then we also have with us this morning Patrick Rosno. Patrick decided to come today. We really appreciate you being here, Patrick. And then this one really looks like the guy. We really appreciate Barry Hearn being with us today. Uh, Barry, it's always good to have you here. And then um, David Nichols is a popular name in the South, but this is David Nancy Nichols, the one married to Nancy. David, it's great that you could join us uh, this morning. And then we didn't want to leave out um, Jerry Peterson. So, Jerry, we, we're so thankful you could be here with us this morning as well to worship. These guys have changed quite a bit, hadn't they? They look a little bit different. Some of them, some of them look actually the part. So it's great to have all of you with us today as we uh, worship the Lord. And I trust that you're uh, ready to do that. And uh, we want to begin this morning by reading some scripture as we read each week uh, through the book of Philippians. We want to begin in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. And so I'd like for you to stand as we read uh, God's word uh, together. Paul writes... For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, Paul says, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. For your progress and joy in the faith, he says. So that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. And then Paul writes, 
only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so he emphasizes that unity piece. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also, he says, to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. And may the Lord bless uh, the reading of his word uh, this morning. I'd ask that you bow with me, and let's have a word of prayer as we begin our service this morning. Most gracious Father, we thank you so much for another day of life. We're just grateful for that. We're grateful, Lord, that um, for those of us who are in Christ, it's not just the life that we have here, but knowing you means that we have abundant life, Um, that we have meaning and purpose to life, and we're not just going through the motions, but you have a plan in place for us. And I pray every morning that we get up and submit to you and that, Lord, we would uh, find each day to be fulfilling, knowing that, Lord, we um, are in you uh, and what a blessing that is. And being in you uh, means that, Lord, when we're out and about, when we're facing people, especially in in today's world, that um, seem to be really hopeless that we're able to express the hope that we have in knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so this morning, we just um, commit our time to you. I pray that you're honored in everything that is uh, said and done this morning. And it's all for your glory. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Our present situation reminded me this week of a picture that I've seen on Facebook. It's a fist, picture of a fist, like in a power pose, uplifted, and it says in big letters, introverts unite. And then in smaller letters below that, it says separately and in your own homes. And so that's uh, kind of the situation we we find ourselves in, right? We're united, but separately in our own homes. But like we were praying about this morning, you know, wherever, wherever we are, the Lord is, right? And so it's the same spirit that's in this building with us. It's the same spirit that's uh, at home with you guys. And so we do have hope as the world doesn't have hope. And so our hearts go out to those and should go out uh, to those who, who don't have that unity, who don't have that spirit, uh, and who are truly uh, experiencing isolation this morning. But we do have the spirit because of the grace that the Lord has given us through Jesus Christ. We want to sing about that this morning. And uh, we thought we'd start off with kind of a, an old-fashioned altar call, but in a new way. Maybe there is uh, something this morning that uh, is between you and the Lord. Or maybe it's just, you know, like Romans 12, presenting your, your body a living sacrifice. And uh, But wherever you're at with the Lord, we're going to take this first song as an opportunity to just prepare your hearts for worship this morning. And we want to lift the name of Jesus high. In order to do that, we need to have the right mindset. So let's prepare our hearts for worship.
Yeah. 
worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever be. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever sin. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you.
Thank you, uh, praise team, for that this morning. When was the last time that you considered your salvation? When was the last time that you truly sat down and considered how wonderful it is to be saved? I wondered this past week how many times Steve and Jenny Saint thought about how wonderful was the salvation of Minkiah. He went to be with the Lord this past week, and we've had Steve... And Jenny, and we've had Micaiah to the church. What a testimony that is of the great saving power of our Lord. And um, I was really thinking a lot about them this past week and just how blessed um, it is for, for Steve and Jenny to know that Micaiah is with the Lord. He's with him right now. And how special it must be for Nate, <laughs> um, who was speared by that tribe to have um, in his presence uh, Minkiah. I mean, how special is that? So I started thinking about that, and I was like, it fits so well with what we're going to discuss this morning, because this morning we want to consider our salvation. And um, that's exactly what Paul is wanting to do with Timothy. He wants him to consider his salvation. And the security of that, it's just there's so much to consider in this passage. I found it to be uh, really plunging the depths, if you will, because there's just so much to consider in this passage. And um, remember the context of the letter. The Apostle Paul is encouraging his young protege in the faith. Um... He wants him to continue on the course. If he was here today, he would say to us, continue on the course. Um, Don't quit. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the context of 2 Timothy chapter 1, you remember in verses 6 through 18, um, the apostle Paul is basically laying out for Timothy the argument of not being ashamed. You remember what we said in verse 8, where Paul says to Timothy, Do not be ashamed of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. That's his instruction. Now remember, Paul's not accusing Timothy of being ashamed. He's just saying, don't go down that road. Um, Just like if Paul was standing before us today, he would say, hey, don't go down that road. And it's easy to be critical of those people who maybe for a time are ashamed, but we need to, to check our own lives, make sure we're... On course, And that's what Paul is wanting Timothy to, to do. Stay on the course. Don't be ashamed or of, of our Lord or me, his prisoner. And then you remember in verse 12, he gives his own personal testimony. Verse 12, he says, but I am not ashamed. That was Paul's life. He says, I'm not ashamed. And he's about to, to meet his Lord and Savior. And, and he's, the, the race is almost over for Paul on earth. And he's able to say to Timothy, listen... You don't be ashamed, but know this, I am not ashamed. And then he gives him an example of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me, verse 16 says, and was not ashamed of my chains. Well, 
you look at that and you go, that's, that's great. Paul gave Timothy instruction. He gave him his own testimony and then he gives him an example. But Paul goes through and he just works this out. He's like, look, here's the reason that you don't need to be ashamed. And he said, to keep from going down that road, let me give you some things to think about. Number one, do you remember in verses 6 and 7, he tells him, keep using your gift. And what's going to happen if you keep using your gift? Well, you're not going to be focusing on yourself. You're not going to be focusing on your circumstances. No matter how dire they may be, you're not going to focus on that. If you just keep using the gift of God that he has given you. And that's what he tells him in verses 6 and 7. And then you remember last week we talked about, he said, hey, look, Timothy. Not only do I want you to keep using the gift that God has given you, but I want you to join the team of suffering. And you remember how hard that language was? I mean, he said, do it now. That's what it means in the original. Do it now. Don't delay. Join the team of suffering. Whoa. And you remember in the context, Nero is ruler in Rome. And you remember all that we said about that and all that Christians faced in that day. And, and Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, join the team. What a time to ask him to join the team. But Paul knew that the time was at hand for him to go and be with the Lord. And he needed Timothy. You know, I was thinking about that this week. That um, I could say to all of you, stay the course. We need young men to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. To stand on the truth. In generations to come, we don't know when the Lord's coming. It may be soon, but it may not be. But we need people who are willing to stand in the gap and say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe he's called all of us to that. So he says, join the team of suffering. And then, you remember last week, the first argument was, hey, look, join the team of suffering knowing the Lord is in control. So he's not giving Timothy an option, but he's telling Timothy, listen, you can join the team because the Lord's in control. And you're like, "Where, where do we get that? You remember... He says in verse 8, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. See, Paul didn't even look at his own life as being a prisoner of Rome. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm not a prisoner of Rome, Timothy. I am the Lord's prisoner. Wow, what a perspective. I mean, if you're going to join the team, knowing the Lord's in control, no matter how bleak things may be, right? I mean, we look at what's going on in our world today. Uh, Have you considered whether you're on the team? Are you on the team? Have you joined? Because we don't know what's in front of us. I believe it's already cost many Christians around the world their own lives to stand on the truth. We know that, even in today's world. And it may shortly come that it's going to cost pastors and teachers and Christian leaders in the United States. Can you imagine that? But it may be coming shortly. And so Paul says, hey, look, join the team of suffering knowing the Lord is in control. But then, this is a magnificent section. He says, join the team of suffering knowing that your salvation, our salvation, our salvation is secure. And that's why I asked you earlier the question, when was the last time you considered your salvation? Truly considered everything that that encompasses. Because it is so amazing. In fact, another title for this could be Our Amazing Salvation. Because it is truly amazing. And when we think about it, it's all about the Lord. It's all about Him. 
We're going to see that this morning. It's all about him. So Paul begins to argue about salvation in verse 9. He begins to argue the point, our salvation is secure. Look at what verse 9 uh, says in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling? Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling? So the first thing we have to do is address the who. Who is that? Who? Well, all you have to do is go back to the last word of verse 8. God. God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. The word saved means to rescue from danger or destruction. Do you know what Paul is telling Timothy? Hey, Timothy, we have been rescued from the penalty of sin. That's what he's saying. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. Now, I want you to think about that in your own salvation. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians in chapter 13 to to a church, to a group of believers, examine yourselves, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. So I think today's a great time for that. Because if if this passage doesn't just um, make you want to consider it all afternoon long, something's wrong. I mean, it's so amazing what Paul's telling Timothy. He's saying, listen, our God saved us. He rescued us from the penalty of sin. And we know, as Paul wrote in Romans, for the wages of sin is what? It's death. (laughs) We're not going to get what we deserve. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. You know, salvation is often talked about um, in terms of, um, especially theologians outline this, salvation in terms of the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. And there is salvation from the penalty of sin, and that's the context with which Paul is speaking here in 2 Timothy. There's also, also salvation from the power of sin. You know, we can live lives surrendered to the Lord and be relieved from the power of sin. Isn't that amazing to think about? But we have to submit to the Spirit of God to experience that. But there's also salvation one day coming from the presence of sin, when we're in the presence of our Lord and our Savior. Timothy is being told by the Apostle Paul this, guys. This is so awesome. He's saying, Timothy, we have been declared righteous. Not because we're righteous, but because of the righteousness of Christ We've been clothed with his righteousness, and that's what makes us acceptable to God. You know, we always say, well, when God sees us, he sees Christ. That's right. He sees the righteousness of his son. So when was the last time that you've considered, man, I've been rescued from from danger and from destruction? Think about the number of people in our world today that are are so um, overtaken with this COVID-19, and they're just... They're just restless and they're hopeless. And it's like, you know, you you just want to say, hey, look, you can be saved from the thought of destruction and eternal separation from God. I like what C.H. Spurgeon said. He said, believers in Christ are saved. They are not looked upon as persons who are in a hopeful state. 
and may ultimately be saved, but they are already saved. If you thought about that today, you're already saved. If you know Christ, you're already saved. Salvation, he says, is to be enjoyed now. You know, sometimes we'll say this like, man, looking at Christians, sometimes you just wonder because they're sad all the time, are they enjoying their salvation? It's a good question. Do you remember in Psalm 51 what David said in the midst of his confession? Do you remember those words? Do you remember what David said? He said, restore to me. Restore to me the joy. And notice this pronoun, the joy of your salvation. Man didn't think of salvation. (laughs) It's not about man. It's about the salvation that comes from God. And David is saying, listen, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. You know what robs men and women of the joy? Sin. Sin's the great robber. Sin robs of joy. And so it's pertinent that every single day we get up with the mindset that, Lord, I want to honor you today. I want to glorify you today. Well, not only did Paul clearly spell out that they had been saved, but notice what he says. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. It is the call of God on sinners to salvation. That's what Paul's talking about. It's God summoning men to salvation. When you think about that alone, that's amazing. That God summons men to salvation. But who knew that more than Paul? <laughs> I mean, he's on the road to Damascus, right? I mean, he's looking for more names to, to um, see Christians suffer and be persecuted. And for him to think about, wow, I've been called out by the Lord. Um, it's, it's really the mindset of, of, of having men summoned by God. It's the, it's the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where it, it says, I planted, Apollos watered. Who caused the growth? God did. God summons men to salvation through the Spirit of God. Through the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. You remember that day when you were convicted of your sin? Right? Who did that? The Spirit of God. He's the one that calls. Romans chapter 8 points that out. There's several passages of Scripture that you could look to uh, for that calling. I like what um, William Hendrickson says about this calling. He writes in his commentary on uh, 2 Uh, Timothy, he says, not only has God called us to himself, but he has called us to a life of holiness. I want to read that again because I really like the way he frames this because he's dealing with kind of two different things here. He says, not only has God called us to himself, that's what Paul's writing here in 2 Timothy. He's called us to himself. It's, It's the picture, to me, it's a picture of God bringing us into his arms. What a beautiful picture that is. I mean, you know how we're having to social distance now? We haven't had the grandkids to the house in in a while, and they were over the other day. And we're watching this dumb cartoon. I don't even know what it was. It's it's a new one. So I don't don't, all I know is Bugs Bunny, Roadrunner, Tom and Jerry. I like those. I'm getting them to educated in the Tom and Jerry, but but my youngest one, little Janae, she's 
she walks right up to me and she said, hey, poppies. Well, you know, we're supposed to stay six feet apart. How do you do that? So she just crawls right up in my lap and she's tucked right under my arm. And I'm thinking, man, what a great illustration. When God called us, he tucked us under his arm. That's an awesome picture. But, so that's what he's saying. Hendrickson said, he's called us separated us to himself, but he's also called us to a life of holiness. So I want to kind of take a look at both of those uh, briefly. First of all, there are many blessings in being separated unto God. Uh, this afternoon, we'll change, we said last week, bologna, so you, can, you don't need to eat bologna, but maybe this week you're eating pimento cheese. That was mentioned earlier as we were praying together here. By the way, if you're going to eat pimento cheese, add bacon. But There are many, many, listen, there are many blessings to being called. And I just listed a couple of them there for you, but I wanted to specifically talk about one of them. Because one of them really kind of speaks to this picture of what that's like. The benefit of our calling is really fellowship with the Lord. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9. God is faithful through whom you were called into the fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, immediately my mind went to one passage in the book of Genesis. You remember Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 and 22? It says, Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. And then it says, Enoch what? He walked with God. He walked with his God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. You know, there's two implications with that word walk. And this is very important for you to know. Two implications. First of all, it was habitual. It was a habit. It was his lifestyle. That's exactly what the author is saying. It was Enoch's lifestyle to walk with God. So one of the most painful things about preparing sermons is, is having to look at your own life first, right? But that's what happens if you're teaching a class or you're preparing a sermon. You're like, oh my goodness, Lord, I need to consider this. What is my walk like with you on a daily basis? Is that an important question? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. And so that's one of the issues here that, that the author is bringing out. He's saying, listen, it was his way of life. You know, one of the things that we do that's our way of life, we eat every day, right? We do. We eat every day. And, and we, we typically choose the things that we want to eat. And, and typically, we take time to think about, these are the things that I'm going to eat today. I got to thinking, wow, what if our consideration of our spiritual food was like that? It'd be pretty good. So, first of all, he's talking about this habitual lifestyle that Enoch had. But secondly, the word walks specifically points to his sweet communion with God. You know what that's like if you have a family. If you have a family, you know what it's like to be in communion with that family, to commune with them, to be around them. I think one of the hardest parts right now for every one of us is that we're not able to be together with our, our spiritual family. You know, we want to be around them. I mean, that's exactly what this word means. He's communing with his Lord. We're missing right now communion with one another. I hope that's going to start back up soon. We'll just leave that to the Lord. 
So the idea of the walk here is the idea of the fact that Enoch did it all the time. All the time. All the time. It was his way of life. But also it's that specific idea of his communion with the Lord. You know, and if we're going to commune with the Lord, let me give you some practical things that are going to have to happen. If we're going to commune with the Lord, it all begins with getting into this book. How in the world are you going to commune with the Lord unless you're in the book? You have to be in the book. You know, I have to say this, and this wasn't planned, but over the years, I've heard excuses like this from Christians that I don't understand what it's saying. You know, I, read, I open the Bible, and it's like, man, I just, I just don't, I don't get it. I got good news for you. You remember what Jesus told his disciples when he was about ready to leave? I'm going to provide for you a helper. And it's a helper of the same kind who's going to be in you. And he's going to teach you all things. Hey, guys, let's not rely on men to teach us. Let's rely on the Spirit of God to teach us. You want sweet communion, sweet fellowship? It's going to come that way. It's going to come that way. And it's very, very important to consider. And that's what was going on with Enoch. And also, you know, another thing that is, is sweet, and you'll find sweet communion not only in reading the Word, but in prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Spending time with the Lord. And don't get discouraged. This is what happens sometimes in, in people's prayer life. They're like, man, the Lord hadn't heard me in a while. <laughs> well, yeah, he hears you. You know what's so awesome? He doesn't just hear you, but he knows what's going on in your mind and your heart. He knows already. I mean, you're not informing him. He already knows. And so I think sometimes we kind of get discouraged when we don't see answered prayer. But I would encourage you, keep praying, keep praying. Keep that sweet communion with the Lord. And also maybe just add one more to that, and that would be meditation. Meditating on the things of the Lord, and that would be his word. So when we consider... Our calling, we have to consider, uh, first of all, being separated to God. And then there's another aspect of that calling that is clear in Scripture. And that's not only being separated to God, but being separated from the world. Ugh. Now, this one is a whole sermon in itself. We don't have time for that today. Uh, Sometime we can come back to it. But this is a whole other sermon. That we need to be separate from the world so that our behavior looks different. So that people would say, oh, they belong to the Lord. Have you ever had this happen to you where you've come across someone you've never known? And you just get up and you start having this conversation. And it's like immediately you're like, whoa, this person's different. I think this person might be on my team. I think they might know the Lord. Uh, People need to be able to tell that we belong to the Lord. That we're separate from the world. Just as we've been separated unto God, we have to be separate from the world. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. He's called us to be separate. Guys, we can say this. We do not live in a pure world. We do not. And look, I don't have to go through the list of things we need to do. We need to guard our eyes, though, don't we? We need to guard our eyes, guard our hands. Guard our ears, if we just want to put it like that. You remember the song with the kids when they were young, be careful little ears what you hear, be careful little feet where you go, be careful little hands what you touch. And, and it's such a simple song, but profound. You talk about a, a song of sanctification, there it is. Well, 
Also in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes, As obedient children, and he's assuming that, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who separated you, called you to himself, be holy, be separate yourselves in all your behavior. That little word all there, that's a big word, isn't it? Three little letters, but a big, big word. How does that look in your life? Does that need to be considered in your life and in my life? I think so. Peter wanted them to consider it. Be holy, be separate yourselves in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Well, how does that look? I couldn't get around this. And I was thinking, man, for time's sake, there's no way I can go into this, but we have to. Because we have to consider what it looks like to be separate from the world. So I give you these verses. You can study them this afternoon after you eat your pimento cheese with bacon. But Paul puts it in plain language, right? I mean, he just puts it in plain language. This is what your life needs to look like. He says, so this I say and affirm that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. So right from the beginning, he says, hey, consider the way that you're walking. He says, look, excluded from the life of God, because these people are not walking with the Lord. They're separate from the Lord. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality. And notice this next phrase, for the practice. In other words, it was their lifestyle. Just like Enoch had the lifestyle of walking with God, those, the Gentiles, he's saying in this context, listen, they have the practice of every kind of sensuality, every kind of impurity, he says, with greediness. And then here's the transition in the verse. But you did not learn Christ in this way. You didn't learn him this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now underscore that. Renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self. Now that's a picture literally of taking an old garment and tossing it to the side and putting a new garment on. The new self, which is... In the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Remember, I asked you to underscore there that, that piece about the mind because it's, it's where it all begins. It's where it all begins. And you might not want to hear that, but that's all right. You're not here in the building. I can say it. You're not going to throw anything at me. But it all starts in our mind. If we're going to take off the old garment and put on the new garment and look like we belong to the Lord, look like that we're separate from the world, then it starts with our mind. So I gave you these verses to consider. And listen, we could go to Romans 12, but I like the Colossians 3, 1 through 3 section. He says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Look what it says, verse 2. Set your mind, fix your mind. That's the idea. Concentrate your mind. So that takes what? Discipline. 
Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Well, that's a good time to work on that now, isn't it? Because we are being distracted like nobody's business these days. We need to set our mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. He says, for, why? Because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And so there's really two aspects there to that calling piece. Now, I want you to go back with me to the Second Timothy, if you'd turn to these other passages. Notice what he says in Second Timothy. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according, he says, not according to our works. Not according to our works. Um, now, that's a difficult one to deal with because man likes to think of himself as being able to achieve righteousness. Um, but man's out of the equation. It's not about us. It's about him. And an article entitled, Why is the Predominant View Salvation by Works? Listen to what this author wrote. The author states that salvation by works appeals to man's sinful nature. It forms the basis of almost every religion except for biblical Christianity. It's not just salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone. It's, it's, well, I have to do something to earn this. Because certainly the Lord wants me to do something to earn it. But remember what Paul wrote in Romans? Our righteousness is what? As filthy rags. <laughs> that kind of puts it in perspective. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 tells us that there is a way... That seems right to a man. Now listen to these words. But its end is the way of death. Isn't that sad? That's some wisdom there from Solomon. Let me read it again. There is a way that seems right to a man. Hey listen, if you're out there and you're trying to reason, how do I get to God? And you've never heard anything about the gospel. You're like, yeah, I guess I need to work. I guess I need to do something. And I've always had the question, how... How much is enough? How do you know? And if it's that way, it's all about man. But it's, salvation is not that way. It's not by works. He says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Salvation by works seems right to man, which is why it is the predominant viewpoint. It just it seems right. I mean, you think about the way man is. We work for everything. So, okay, the, the working for salvation, th that must be it. And you think about how many religions in the world works is attached to grace. It's sad. Paul is careful to point out all throughout the New Testament. I mean, I only have one set of verses here for you, but actually one verse, but... There's so many verses. Just actually this afternoon, read the book of Galatians. It's all through there. But notice what he says in Galatians chapter uh, 2, verse 16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not what? Not declared righteous. That's what the word justified means. He's not declared righteous by the works of the law. Uh-oh. Now you understand that justified means right standing. So man's standing, right standing before God is not based on works. I think all of us here in Christ are going, hallelujah. 
right? Notice what he says. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith. There's the thread throughout Scripture. Faith, faith, faith. And it's faith in who? Faith, he says. Faith in Christ Jesus. And then he just kind of reemphasizes the same thing. He says, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be what? Declared righteous, justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law since by the works of the law. And man, he just is like he's taking a pen and he's just underscoring it. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. It's salvation by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's what Paul's saying. That's his argument. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Well, notice what he says. Not according to works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Man, this is good stuff here. But according to his, so it's not by works, Timothy... Now, remember, all through this, he's arguing, look, this is why you need to, to join the team. Our salvation's amazing. It's secure. It's not based on works, but according to his own purpose and grace. The phrase, his own, you kind of need to underscore that. It's an emphatic statement in the original language. And it declares this. This is what it means. When he says, but according to his own purpose and grace, it means this. That he saved us and he called us. Not based on how wonderful we were. Or because of anything we have done. But simply because of his, number one, his own purpose. (laughs) Now I want you to think on that a while. He saved us and called us. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. By the way, if you think on that a while, you're going to need more than just today. You realize that he called you to himself for a reason? Reasons? Listen to the words of Wayne Barber. He says, this phrase should bring a response of hallelujah. But we don't have to understand it. I think people try, I just have to understand it. No, we don't have to understand this. We can just say hallelujah, Lord. I'm glad you separated me to yourself. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. That's exactly what Paul's saying. Listen. We've been separated to him. And our salvation and our calling is not based on works. But it's according to his own purpose. Kenneth Wiest, in commenting on his purpose, wrote this. Salvation. And guys, we need to hear this. And it may sound like a little strange. But it's so true. Salvation is dominated by God's purpose. That of glorifying himself. You get that? Salvation is dominated by God's purpose, that of glorifying himself. It glorifies him to call us to himself. Why? Because it's not about us. It's about his saving work. I don't know about you, but man, it is, as I thought about this, and I'm thinking, man... Paul's tightening down the nuts and the bolts. This is heavy stuff. He's in the deep end of the pool, and he's saying, hey, look, Timothy, look what we got. Look what we got. But he says, not only according to his own purpose, but grace. 
We all know what grace is, right? It's God's unmerited favor toward man. We, what, what, what do we deserve? You tell me, what do we deserve? Wake up, David Nichols. What do we deserve? We deserve what? We deserve eternal separation from God. What are we getting? <laughs> you know what we're getting? His presence. We get to be in the presence of the Lord forever. All of those who belong to him. So grace is God's unmerited favor toward man. Jerry Bridges, in commenting on God's grace, wrote this. God's, God, uh, excuse me, grace is God's free, underscore that, free and unmerited favor shown to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. Ugh. He's right. Grace is God's free and unmerited favor shown to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. You think about Mankiah and what that tribe did to those men that were killed. They speared them to death. And man, it's like, okay, those guys don't deserve the Lord. Do we? No. I may have not speared anybody to death, but you know what? I deserve judgment. I deserve hell, and the Lord gave me heaven. And listen, as man looks at it, we would say, well, Minkiah and that tribe, they deserve death. But what did the Lord bring to them? Salvation. <laughs> Salvation. Salvation. He goes on to write this. It is the love of God shown to the unlovely. And just in case you're confused, none of us are lovely. None of us are. The only thing that makes us lovely now, being in Christ, is the righteousness of Christ. We've been clothed with his righteousness. Well, Paul moves on. He says, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Whoa, hold on just a second. You know, the word granted points to one giving of their own accord. That's the idea. In case you're sitting at home right now going, man, Thad, I can't take notes fast enough. It'll be okay because I'm going to send you everything I've got right here. So you just listen. The word granted points to one giving of their own accord. Now, it's not often when I mention something that's critical in the Greek, but when I do, when there is, I have to mention it. Notice what he says, which was granted past tense. So Paul uses the passive voice, which indicates that grace was given from an outside source. Whoa. Who's the outside source? The Lord is the outside source. Which was granted us, he says, in Christ Jesus from all eternity. This grace is not earned. It's not earned. It's not something you earn. But it's given us in Christ Jesus, my friends. And listen to me. That's why we call it amazing grace. We sing the song, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. He says, granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. I put in my notes, it certainly seems to be clearly stated that before the foundation of the earth, we were considered. We were included in the gracious 
plan of the Lord God. Now try putting your mind around that. You know what man wants to do? Try to understand that. I got news for you. I've been working on this for a couple, three weeks, and I don't understand it. I believe it. Because I believe verses like Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, which say, just as, right, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. He said, well, unless I can understand it, I'm not going to believe it. Well, just because we can't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. Um, I like what Henry Morris says about this verse in Ephesians and this, these verses here in 2 Timothy. He says, while we cannot understand this with our minds, I'm glad at least I got one more that agrees with me on that, we can apprehend it with our hearts. You say, how does that happen? Well, it produces, he says, thankfulness to the Lord. That he, listen, that grace was granted us from all eternity. We can just say, thank you, Lord, for that. And I would add, just because we cannot comprehend it doesn't make it any less true. It's true. It's true. That we were included from before the world began, before the foundation of the world. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? I mean, you think about, and listen, don't go home going, I just have to understand. Well, you're already at home. Don't, don't be at home going, I really have to understand that, or, or I'm just going to deny it. We can't do that. We've not been given permission to deny it. All Paul, Tim, you know what Paul's doing? He is plunging the depths for Timothy and saying, hey, listen, it's God, it's God, it's God. And so all the suffering that you're going to go through, listen, just remember, it's about the Lord. Your salvation is secure. Then he transitions. He transitions. He says this, but now. So he goes from the before the foundation of the world, and he goes here, here to verse 10. He says, but now has been revealed, I, I love this, by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. In other words, what was a mystery in ages past has been revealed. What was a mystery in ages past? Huh? was a mystery the mystery he speaks about but now has been revealed by the appearing of our savior jesus christ it's the incarnation of christ whoa that's the mist that was the mystery the incarnation i like the verse in john 1 verse 14 but because it kind of just i mean this is John's summary of, of the birth of Christ. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So what was a mystery, Paul said, has been revealed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ by His appearing. You know, there's a huge contrast between the first advent and second advent. And I can't tell you why my mind went there, but it did. So I'm going to share with you a couple of things about it. Did you know that 700 years before the Lord Jesus uh, came to earth, look what it says. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty 
that we should look upon him. Nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. Isaiah is writing about his first coming. And we look at it and the Bible tells us what he came not to be, not to, to serve, but, or not to be served, but to serve. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But then you contrast the first coming where he comes in humility as the suffering servant. And then you go to the second advent, which is yet to come. And notice what it says, Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. And by the way, when he comes a second time to earth, he's coming as what? Is he coming as a suffering servant? No. He's coming as the glorious king. Look what it says. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. In other words, it's happening. He's coming back to the earth to rule and to reign. And you know who's coming with him? His church. You want to read about that? Do that this afternoon too. Revelation chapter 19. His church is coming with him. And if you've never been able to ride a horse, you will be able to then. We're coming with the Lord. The King of Kings. So Paul here, he is alluding to the incarnation of Christ. But I don't want you to miss this. Don't miss the fact that the word appearing implies that he existed before he came to the earth. Because there's a doctrine, a deadly doctrine out there that says Christ was created. He always has been. The incarnation tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So it asserts his deity. It asserts his deity. He is Lord. But notice what it says. But now has been revealed by the appearing, and Paul says, of our Savior. He just goes back and he reemphasizes, listen, this is the one who's rescued us from danger. This is the one who's rescued us from the penalty of sin. Look what Paul keeps, he just keeps talking, so I have to keep talking too. Notice what he says. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, look at this, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Hey, listen, you know what? I had this in the beginning. I was going to use the analogy of reading the fine print. You know, how many times do we do that? Uh, you know, you sign for a house to buy a house or a car. How many pieces of paper do they throw at you? 30, 40, 50 sheets. And what do we do? What do we do? We know we do this. We just, we might say every once in a while, what's this piece of paper? Will you sign it? We don't read the fine print. You know what verses 9 and 10 are? The fine print. The fine print. And you know what people don't take time to do? Go through it. Like, oh my goodness, this is just too much. It's not too much. It's exactly what Timothy needed to hear. Especially at the time that he was living. And what he was going through. But look what the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, did. He abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The word abolished literally means to render powerless or inoperative. Think about how the unbeliever views death. They're scared. It's the end. How did Paul view death? To live as Christ, to die as gain. So you know what needs to happen? Christians need to get on board with that. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Now, imagine if we had a 30-second spot on national television 
to quote that verse. And, and, and people could call us with their response. What would that look like? For most people, this is it. So as we think about death, especially in this time where this plague is here, we're thinking, listen, if the Lord takes me, I'm going to be with him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So he's rendered death powerless, Timothy said. And listen, this is a man who's about to have his head chopped off. I mean, right? What great perspective. And it's only because the Lord Jesus took the sting of death from us. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? We'll read more about 1 Corinthians 15 in just a minute. I like what one theologian wrote. Listen to this. Have you ever read the series Pilgrim's Progress? Are you familiar with that? One theologian wrote, For the believer, death is the doorway to the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was growing up, there was a game show. And they had three doors. What's behind door number one? What's behind door number two? What's behind door number three? And, and the contestant could choose. And there was always something to choose instead of what they were already giving them. Listen, guys, behind, listen, and this is how it's viewed for the believer. When we fall asleep, we're in the presence of the Lord. Isn't that a good deal? Who can beat that? In Pilgrim's Progress, when hopeful and Christian come to the final river of death, they are scared that the water will be over their heads. Hopeful goes through the river first and calls back to Christian and listen to his words. Be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom and it is good. My friends, listen to me. If we think this is good, okay, and life is good. God's given us so many blessings in life. If we think this is good, what's it going to be like when we cross that river? It's going to be awesome. Paul is telling Timothy, Christ took care of the sting. Notice he says, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Well, we have to deal with those two words, life and immortality. Now, I think there's two possible thoughts on the life. Um, I think primarily it's eternal life, but I think there's also possibly an emphasis on just the abundant life. The abundant life the believer has in Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you say that knowing Christ, you have an abundant life? Would that be your testimony? I have an abundant life. You might not have $5 in your checking account, but knowing Christ, you can say, I have an abundant life. I've been given so many things just knowing Christ. Well, in John 20, 31, um, John writes this, These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. In believing you may have life in his name. Not only eternal life, but abundant life. I mean, Paul summed it up in Philippians 1, which we read today. Hey, if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean what? Fruitful labor. Isn't that good? That's how Paul viewed life as a believer. Fruitful labor, because it's all about the Lord. But I think also here, and maybe the predominant thought has to do with eternal life. I gave you a verse that um, probably 
is not one of the top five when it comes to eternal life. There are so many verses about it, but 1 John 2, 25, I like the brevity, and, and it's so powerful. It says, this is the promise which he himself made to us eternal life. Isn't that good? Notice that, that pronoun there. He himself made to who? Us. John included himself and the apostles and all who belong to the Lord. Hey, guys, we have eternal life. But not only does he talk about life, he talks about immortality. He says, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You know what that word immortality means? It refers to that which is not capable. Now listen to these words. Not capable of corruption or decay. Not capable. We live in a world where we watch things, what, die off. I mean, I'm waking up these days in my mid-50s and my body's not getting better. Do you know I have more wrinkles now than I've ever had? Uh, Ron Gardner this morning noticed I was getting up from my desk. And he's like, that? Are you, are you limping? I'm like, no, I'm just getting out of my chair. I mean, life's tough, isn't it, as you get old? I mean, you start watching yourself break down. And you're like, hey, this isn't going to last forever. So immortality refers to that which is not capable of corruption or decay. Whoa, wow, I'm looking forward to that. That which is imperishable. If you're Timothy, I thought this week, how many times did Timothy read verses 9 and 10 as we have them as verses 9 and 10? I think a bunch. This is where the meat is. Can you imagine, guys, a day that is coming in which we will exchange the perishable for the imperishable? I just want you to listen to these words. I didn't put them on the PowerPoint, so you can turn to 1 Corinthians 15 if you'd like to. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 57. In the same context, he says, O death, where is your sting? Right? O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Listen to what he writes. He says, Paul says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And as you get older, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we, look at that, just underscore, we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable, Paul says, will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written. Man, woo! It's like, it's a crescendo. He's just getting right to it and going, woo, here it is. Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Whew, that's good stuff, isn't it? 
Listen, Paul writes, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And notice what he says in verse 11. For which I was appointed, he says. I was appointed a preacher. What does a preacher do? He heralds the truth. He brings forth the truth. He proclaims the truth. It reminded me of back in the day when the the newspaper boys would would say, um, read all about it, read all about it, right? And they would shout it out. Read all about it. Read all about it. And, and that, that's what it reminds me of. He was a preacher. The Bible says here, Paul says, I was not only appointed by the Lord a preacher, but an apostle, a messenger, one who went out and declared the gospel, one who represented the Lord, and then he said a teacher. You know what a teacher does? teacher breaks it down. teacher breaks it down. That's why in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Be diligent, present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. A, a preacher and a teacher, listen, a teacher, I think the distinguishing trait here is that a teacher is willing to break it down. They're willing to get in there and get dirty and get bloody because they want the people so much to know the truth. But that's what Paul says. Guys, when was the last time you considered your salvation? Isn't it great? Even you just took these two verses, isn't it grand? It, it, it makes me want to not only sing the song Amazing Grace, but one of my favorite hymns. And I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to read the verses. I want you to listen to these verses Because you know what? I think if Paul and Timothy could stand here on stage with us today, they'd want to sing this hymn. This hymn is called, O Victory in Jesus. Listen to these, the words of this verse, these verses. I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning, Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing, how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Man, you just want to stand up out of your seat right after that verse. You can if you want to. And it says, I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. About the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him. And all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Let's pray together. Lord, I guess if you're Timothy and you're getting this letter, you get to what we have as verses 9 and 10. You just, I mean, it's like a, a camp out. You have to camp there, and there's just so much to consider. Paul's saying he saved you, Timothy. He saved me, Timothy. He's called us with a holy calling. It's not according to our works, but according 
to His own power and grace, which was granted, He says, granted us in Christ Jesus. I mean, you just break that passage down, there's just so much there, so much to consider. Lord, I pray we wouldn't leave this place today or our living rooms or dining rooms, wherever these guys happen to be, without really and truly considering, wow, I'm saved. I'm not going to get the penalty of sin. In fact, I'm going to be released from the presence of sin. I'm going to cross that river into the presence of my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ, who sought me and bought me with his redeeming love. Lord, thank you so much for Paul. Thank you so much, Lord, for his love for his young student. He loved him so much. He wanted him to stay the course. He didn't want him to be ashamed. And Lord, he tells him two really important things. You don't have to go down that road, Timothy, because the Lord's in control. You don't have to go down that road because your salvation is amazing and it's secure. Help us to know, Lord, that no matter what comes across our path, even if it be our last breath, that when that happens, we'll be <laughs> with the testimony to others, hey, I'm crossing that river into the presence of my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray all of these things. Amen.
amazing. I didn't know what the praise team would be singing this week, and before I came up this morning, they sang Amazing Grace, and they just ended with a song that had, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I mean, Lord put it together. Thankful that we could be with you guys this morning. And I just want to ask and request of the body at Grace that you would pray that the Lord would give the elders wisdom in the next few weeks, um, that we would have the wisdom to know how to, how to do things here at Grace. It's, it's going to be a little bit different, but we're trusting the Lord in all of it, and we're asking for His help and His guidance. And so you pray about that for us. Uh, let me have a word of prayer as we close. Lord, we thank you so much. Uh, for your great grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. It's amazing to think about your favor in our lives, Lord, and not only in regards to saving faith, but just every day how you deal with us on the basis of grace. We're so thankful for that, thankful for um, your love for us, um, thankful, Lord, that, that we can come to you anytime and, and you're listening to us. Thank you just for being who you are, Lord. You are holy, 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 and there is no one like you. We look forward, Lord, to your return, and until you come, I pray that we would be faithful to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.